0: Well, good morning, Faithbrook Church. It is so good to be with you on site and online this morning. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Brendan Burrent. I'm the pastor of student ministries here at Faithbrook Church, and I want to give you a warm welcome. Thank you for being here this morning. If this is your first time here at Faithbrook or your first time in a long time, I invite you to fill out a connection card. If you're in person, reach into the seat back in front of you and you can get a physical card. Or if you're online or would prefer to fill out a digital card, go to faithbrook.church slash guest, and there you can fill out a connection card digitally. Connection cards are great because it gives us a chance to reach out to you and get to know you better, and it also gives you a chance to get to know us better too. And when you fill out that connection card, Faithbrook Church will make a $5 anonymous donation on your behalf to a local food shelter. Faithbrook Church's vision is to lead people to new and thriving life in Christ, We do this really well here locally in the Northwest suburbs of Minneapolis, St. Paul, but we just don't want our mission to stay there. We want to see it go global. And Faithbrook Church is a part of the Church of the Nazarene, a global church whose one of the main focuses is missions and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the corners of the earth. And this is done by sending missionaries, sending funding, sending different projects out into communities that really need them, wherever they may be. I invite you with me to check out this video that will tell us a little bit more about Nazarene missions.
1: Father, send me. This is the prayer that the Church of the Nazarene has prayed from the very beginning as she sent her people into the world. A world that desperately needs Christ's transformational love. Today, we are part of a global movement in which God is actively redeeming His creation. Restoring the broken through His beautiful gift of salvation offered to all. We have been called to partner with Him in this movement. This is why Nazarene Missions exists. To share His love, compassion, and peace as we start new Nazarene churches around the world. Entire communities are being transformed through the partnerships and relationships developed by our local churches. Nazarene Missionaries are partnering with local ministers and lay leaders to bring restoration, share the gospel, and build sustainability within these communities. As each church body is developed, Nazarene Missions provides ongoing resources that help the church be effective in ministry and outreach. Our partnership ensures that the local church has a collective and immediate impact, an impact that will last for generations to come. You and I, are vital to this movement, a movement that is answering the call to make Christ-like disciples in the nations. This is only made possible through your prayer, your partnership, and your generous sacrificial giving. Nazarene Missions is a movement of God through the
0: people of God. If you would like to be a part of these missions, the best way to do that is to go to the Church Center app by downloading it in your respective app store, selecting Faithbrook as your church, going into the giving portion, and then you can select in the drop-down menu to give to missions. And you can make that donation a one-time, a reoccurring, whatever you feel led to do. In just a minute, we're gonna be hearing from our Connections Pastor, Mike DelGallo, as we continue in our series, Summer on the Mount.
2: Well, I came across an interesting article this week featuring Elon Musk. If you don't know who he is, this is a guy behind Tesla and who also sent a rocket to the International Space Station. Uh, anyway, this article was talking about how he is now living in a uh, tiny home on his company property in Texas. You see, Elon Musk is pretty much a a gazillionaire, and he sold all of his California uh, real estate. You see, his company used to be based in Southern California, and he sold everything, and he moved to Texas, and the whole point of this was to be close to work. You see, his life mission in life is to get to Mars, and not only does he want to get to Mars, he also wants to make it inhabitable. He wants people to be able to live on Mars, and he, uh, he actually wants to be able to do this within his very lifetime. In fact, he is so serious about this uh, passion about getting to Mars that he completely reoriented his entire life around it. You see, he spent about $50,000 to live in this really small, tiny home on the property of his, where his company is based. And this was all because he wanted to be close to work. You see, he, he loves his work, he loves the mission so much that he doesn't want to leave. And for sleeping, he just wants to go just a few feet to be able to sleep in this small, tiny home just so he can continue working and striving for his, his mission to getting to, to Mars. You see, he's, he's so serious about this that he's willing to make major sacrifices to accomplish these goals. Now, for some of us, we might think that that's, that might seem a little absurd, maybe a little overboard, and for, for good reason, for some good reason. And as, uh, as passionate as Elon is, I, I'm not sure that he would be so, uh, so willing to give up almost anything, but uh, you know, he wouldn't be willing to give up, say, you know, his eye or maybe his hand, because he, uh, uh, he doesn't need them for his line of work, but he is willing to give up almost anything to make his mission and his vision come true. You know, for us, we think about just our own lives. You know, is there anything that maybe we're so passionate about? We're, we're chasing, we're pursuing. Is there something that we, we are so gung-ho about that we would be willing to give up maybe your eye or maybe your hand for? Well, Welcome back to our series called Summer on the Mount. My name is Mike Dalgallo. I serve as the Connections pastor here on staff. It is so, so good that we could be on site and online. And for those of us later, we could be watching on demand as well. And as Pastor Taylor said earlier, uh, I am filling in for our lead pastor, Jim Comfort. He is currently on sabbatical right now. Just having time to have a time uh, to rest and refresh and uh, prepare for the year, the year ahead. Well, right now, we are in a series called Summer on the Mount, and this is a play off the Sermon on the Mount. And this is, uh, comes from Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Uh, this is Jesus' longest recorded Jesus's longest recording sermon that was uh, in the, the New Testament. And uh, through this, he, he is going through different, uh, different conversations, and there's some iconic teachings. There's the Lord's Prayer, there's the Beatitudes, and there's uh, uh, other things where he talks about ethical standards and even how to um, have a blessed life. But for us, this series, we're actually built on what he says at the end of his sermon in chapter 7. And what he does at the end of his sermon is he wraps up, he actually challenges his his listeners to be hearers and doers of his word. You see, he says that when we are hearers of his word, we are like a wise person who builds their house on a rock. But if we are not hearers and doers of his word, he says we could be like a foolish person who builds their house in the sand. And when the uh, storms come and it's pounding down on our house, do we want to be like one who has built our house on the rock or the one on the sand? And he says, of course, that he wants for us to be one who builds their house on the rock. And what we found as we we kicked off the series is that when we practice what Jesus preaches, we find peace. And practice what Jesus preaches, we find peace. And so now for the rest of the series, for the rest of the summer, we're going to be going through his Sermon on the Mount and going through different teaches, teachings and seeing how we can be followers of Jesus. Now today, we're going to be exploring Jesus' words concerning how we're going about to treat one another. That's uh, for us here at Faithbrook uh, as fellow Christians. And also uh, in a, a couple of weeks, we'll be ta- seeing how we can interact with others outside of the church as well. Now for uh, the four-week chunk here, uh, Jesus brings up uh, four controversial things that uh, not only were big in his day, but big for our day as well. And the four are uh, what we talked about last week is concerning murder. Uh, Today we'll be talking about adultery. Next week we'll be looking at retaliation. And the week following that we'll be looking at what our attitude towards our enemies is like. Now, you might be sitting there and you think, well, man, you know, maybe these don't apply to me. Maybe I just get up and leave right now, or maybe you fall asleep. But I just want to encourage you to, to lean in and to listen, because uh, maybe you find yourself like myself, where I didn't think it applied. But after digging in, I found, man, this, this is some really good stuff here that Jesus is teaching about. And definitely some ways that helped me become a better follower of Jesus as well. And I think... I think for a lot of us, as we look at these things that Jesus is, is looking at concerning the Sermon on the Mount, and specifically as we look at the topic of adultery, I think we can unanimously agree that it's, it's not great, right? And we, we probably shouldn't be going around and, and doing that. But what if Jesus is getting at something a little deeper? What if Jesus is really pressing in to something, especially when the matter is concerned following him? You see, I think I think as we look into this, what we find is that we actually get a, we can get a new perspective out of this. And I think as we dive into the heart of adultery and the heart of what's going on here, it can actually strengthen our relationship with God, and in fact, have an impact on relationships around us as well. And, and I think the uh, what we're seeing is that there's this tension that we're finding throughout this series, and this tension is, comes to this: is that do we actually take Jesus' words seriously? Are we actually uh, uh, believing what he says, so much so that we're willing to take action on what we hear? Or Do we really want to be that wise person who builds on the rock, or are we going to be that foolish person who builds on the sand? And I I firmly believe that Jesus delivers this sermon because he wants all of us to be wise builders who build on the rock. And he wants us to uh, go and follow him, hence why he gives these challenging words. So I want to encourage us right now to go ahead and pull out maybe your Bible. Maybe you have a, a UVersion Bible app. I, I use the UVersion Bible app on my phone. This is something that I, I uh, dig into every day. This is, in fact, what I do my daily devotions on. I love it. It's free. It's awesome. I have my Bible with me no matter where I go. So I want to encourage you to, to get that. Go to Matthew chapter 5. It's in the New Testament. And as you uh, turn there, I just want to kind of set up what we're, what we're looking at. If you were with us last week, uh, you, will, uh, you might remember what I'm about to say, or maybe you forgot, maybe you're new with us. But uh, over the, the next few weeks, we're going to hear two phrases that Jesus is going to repeat. And the first one he says is, You have heard it said. Now the reason why he says this is because he's going to bring up uh, something from the Old Testament that should have been uh, something that was solid, but in fact what uh, he is bringing up is the controversy of of the day. So, for instance, it would have said uh, it could have said X, Y, and Z, but. What happened was, is the teachers of the day, uh, the Pharisees and the scribe and the rabbis, they had put their own interpretations to it, to these laws, and they, they convoluted what the actual teaching said. And so he'll, he'll say, you have heard it said, and that would be next to something along the lines of him saying, it is written or it is commanded. And, and what that means is that is actual words, and that was what is actually said. So the second thing Jesus will say that, that we will see is, but I tell you. He'll, he'll say, first he'll say, you have heard it said. And then he'll say, but I tell you. And this is him speaking into, into the actual law and what it's supposed to be. This is Jesus actually giving his, uh, his word, his authority. And this is meant to be on par with what God had actually given back in the Old Testament. And this is one of the reasons why Jesus got in a lot of trouble in his day and what ultimately led to him going uh, to the cross and dying. You see, there were, in that time, there, there were a lot of false prophets. There were a lot of people who were coming around, and they were, they were saying things. They were, they were pretending to be the, this Messiah, the Savior of Israel, to bring in this new age. And so they, they would come in, and they would say false things. They would bring up new laws. They would say, hey, the old stuff in the Old Testament, we're just going to get rid of that. Uh, but, and here's some new word I have from God. But it actually wasn't from God. It was just man-made and something they made up. So Jesus comes through, and he actually, what he says is, he's like, no, I'm actually not getting rid of what was said in the Old Testament. I'm actually fulfilling that. We saw that in a couple of weeks uh, earlier in chapter, chapter 5. Now, uh, he also says, he says these things because he wants his listeners, his followers, to have a, a righteousness that surpassed the Pharisees. Now, this is pretty big because the Pharisees of that day, had, uh, they had the, the last stand, right? They were the ones who lived out the law to the nth degree. They were the ones, the model citizens, the, the model law keepers, and they would do everything they could to live out the law perfectly each and every day. You see, they thought they were the final law or the final, uh, the final stand and the final uh, things on the law. And so they would parse out every single little detail. There were 613 laws, and so they would parse out every little thing, and they put these standards and practices in place that really were never meant to be. And for for them, they wanted and they hoped that the the nation of Israel and the people of Israel, the Jews, would be able to live out the law perfectly because they believed that if the nation could live out the law perfectly for one day, the Messiah would show up. The Savior would come and deliver them from political and even um, other oppressions and would deliver them and they could come into this new age. You see, the Pharisees, they actually thought that the, the law as written was a yoke. They, they thought that it was actually a burden. So they wanted to lessen the moral demands. They wanted to make it easier. They wanted to bring this high standard of the law, and they wanted to drop it just a little bit so that people could actually live it out. So they took things such as murder and adultery, retaliation, and the attitude towards uh, the enemies. That they made them external issues, and they didn't focus on what was going on in the heart. But see, Jesus is calling his, his hearers, uh, he says, you know, your righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees. Because he knows that if you're actually pursuing God and you're actually going after, uh, you're pursuing Jesus with your heart, it's actually going to influence the external. And so you actually would be living more righteously than the Pharisees. You see, the problem with the Pharisees, uh, with hearers and doers, they, they were just doing. They weren't even listening. They were just doing. and It was just external action. They didn't really have a change of heart. And so Jesus is speaking into this and speaking to his followers and giving these challenges and commands for, for uh, the, the people. So let's go ahead and jump into our text. We'll start in verse 27. And so Jesus, here he says, he says, You have heard it said, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. There it is, you've heard it said, there he goes. You shall not commit adultery. Now, this is from the seventh commandment that we find in Exodus chapter 20, the seven of 10 commandments. And uh, the, the big thing is here is that this is actually the word for word, what we see in the Old Testament. So what's Jesus getting at here? Well, he's not actually talking about the literal words here. He's talking about what the, what the interpretation of this commandment is. You see, in that day, sexual issues were highly prevalent in the culture, uh, both in the Roman Empire and amongst the Jews as well. In fact, it's one of the most talked about sins in the New Testament. You see, the, for the Pharisees, as they interpreted this law, you shall not commit adultery, they were only focused on the external action of committing adultery. So if you were caught in the act of actually committing physical adultery, only then and then would you actually be convicted of breaking the commandment. You see, if this, if this is the case, I think for most of us, we'd find, well, we're not doing anything close to that, so cool, holding up the seventh commandment seems, seems good. I think, I think we're good, and breaking it would be very rare. But really, I, I think Jesus is getting at something a little deeper. I think he's uh, really diving in here, and this is what he says. He says, but I tell you, there it is again, right here's his authority, I tell you, That anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Uh, So first off, uh, talking about this lust and adultery, Jesus is specifically talking uh, not towards your spouse, but someone who is not your spouse. So let's get that out of the way. That's what he's talking about. But uh, look at this, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, so looks, this, this word is really interesting because it could be translated uh, uh, as this focused look, or what we would say uh, today like a stare. Uh, it's this focused attention followed with uh, this uh, looking with impure thoughts. Now, Jesus is not uh, condemning here just looking and noticing an attractive person, right? I, th- I think that if we walk down the street, we go to a public place, there are just naturally attractive people. I think we can admit there's some uh, just naturally attractive people out there. And that's not what Jesus is, is condemning, noticing an attractive person. What he's actually getting at is what happens after that, that goes on. You know, what, what's going on in the heart after that? What's actually stirring up? And this is where temptation comes in. This is the moment of temptation, right? This uh, This is something interesting with temptation is you can't be tempted by what you don't want or what you're drawn to. And I think in many cases, you can't be tempted by what you don't see, hence the expression out of sight, out of mind. But I want us to look very closely that temptation is actually not the issue. Temptation is not the issue. I think we, uh, we notice that I think all of us can agree that we all get tempted at some point. Even Jesus, we had, uh, had that recorded that he was tempted in his ministry. So it's, it's not the temptation that's, that's the issue that Jesus is getting at. But it's what's happening in our hearts and what we do with that temptation. You see, I think a different reading of this passage could be, uh, of this verse could be this. Whoever stares or continuously looks at a woman for the purpose of lusting after her has already committed adultery with her in um, his heart. You see, just like we saw with murder last week, it, it's the issue, is, it all stems from here. It all stems from what's going on in our heart. It's not necessarily the physical action, although that is it as, as well. But I think this is where things start to get a little a little interesting, and we press in just a little bit, I don't really think I think what we find here is that the the real issue is not even the adultery and sexual sin. it's really about lust. right Jesus says if you lust, that's where the issue issue is and and because uh, you know sexual sins were around every corner, and just as it was that day it's we find that here too he's really he's really getting at the heart what's really going on in our hearts, and that's what he's really pursuing after you see. Lust is is something that uh, is really interesting because a lust is really something where we we deeply want and we sometimes make the uh, actions to actually pursue it. Now, this, this desire of things is not bad, right? Desires aren't so terrible, but... When it starts to take the place of God, when it starts to, to uh, take over our life, that's where issues happen. And specifically for sexual sins, this is taking something that God has created, God has created human beings, it's taking something that he has created, it's putting in a place of where he belongs, it's putting this creation on a pedestal, and making our hearts and desires going after those things as opposed to going after him. And see, for, for Christians and for his audience, see, for Jews, you know, that, that's the whole thing. We're not to have anything above, above God. So when we, when we lust, what we find is that we're actually putting other things in God's place. When we lust, we're putting other things in God's place and letting them consume us. So when that happens... As, as that happens in our life, as, as, we, as this consumption happens in our lives, how are we supposed to correct the course? How, how are we supposed to be this wise person? How are we supposed to be a, a hearer and doer of Jesus' words? And he has some interesting solutions that I think we're going to find that are, uh, might, catch our, might catch our eye. He says this, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. So the mention, uh, the mention here, we notice the specific delineation to the right eye or the right hand. And the, the importance here is that for the, for the Jewish mind, the right eye was the most important eye. And for right hand, it was the most or important hand because it was your dominant hand. The majority of people are right handed. And so what this is, what he's saying is, this is, this is something that is uh, of importance as your dominant hand. It's something that you use every day and something that you need to be useful. Now the next thing he he talks about is uh, if the if your right eye or your right hand if it causes you to stumble. Now this is an interesting interesting little little phrase here. This stump the stumble word um, it was really a, a word picture for one of those little traps with the basket and the stick. You, you know I'm talking about where the, uh, where the animal goes and gets a stick and it gets trapped. He, he's talking about that little stick that holds up the trap and the the food that would be on it to entice the animal. So he's saying if you're if your right hand or your right eye causes you to stumble, so if it's causing you into this trap, this is what he says to do. He says to gouge it or cut it out. Get rid of it. Now, it's really uh, interesting. I and mean, this, is, this is such an amazing word picture, but it's also shocking. right? He's saying to take your eye, gouge it out, toss it away. If your hand is causing you to go towards this trap, chop it off. Now, the thing about, about this, uh, this, this stumbling word, this thing that's so interesting with this, is that it could also be a, a stumbling block. You know, something that gets in your way. So uh, it could be, uh, so if your right eye or your, your right hand is something that you do that's really important to you, is it getting in your way? Is it actually causing you to trip up? Another translation says uh, something that causes you to stumble. It's also something that causes you to sin. That's a, another translation of this. And to, to sin is mean to, uh, to intentionally miss the mark. So sin was, uh, was a, a, a Greek word and it referred to archery. And to sin meant you missed the bullseye. You, you missed the mark. And in this instance, it's, it's really uh, more intentional than that. I love what John Wesley says. John Wesley says that sin is a transgression or it's a breaking of a known law. So what that means is if you're looking at a target, to sin would mean you're not just missing the target. It means you're aiming somewhere else and hitting that target instead. So you're intentionally breaking this known law. So what Jesus is saying is if you have this right hand or you have your right eye and that's causing you to intentionally break a known law... He says to gouge it out or cut it off. Now, obviously, he's not being literal. He, he's not saying literally go, go and do this. But, I will say but, it does kind of make us think twice about what Jesus is saying and the power of, of uh, what he is communicating to us. You see, what he's saying is that it would better for you to be blinded or be better for you to be maimed than it would be to continue sinning. It'd be better for you to be lame than it would be to continue in sin. Now, this might not hit as hard for us today because with modern medicine, if we were to lose an eye or if our eyesight goes bad, you know, LASIK and eye surgery is so great, you could pretty much get 20-20 vision back. And if you happen to lose a hand or a limb, we have a lot of great technology that gains back almost the entire function of it or very close to it. So for us, it doesn't hit as hard, but in that day, that's a big deal. You see, if you were to lose an eye or you lose your, your hand, specifically your dominant hand, that means you can't work. That, that, means, that means for someone who were to lose their dominant hand, you'd have to learn your trade that you did with your least dominant hand. I don't know about you, but uh, I've been doing some work around the house, and we've been doing some hammering and whatnot. Man, if I tried hammering with my left hand, there'd be a lot more holes in the wall than it would be than if I were to do with my dominant hand. So this is what he's getting at. He's, like, he's saying that it's better for you to, to be lame. It's better for you to, to not have the use of your dominant hand than it is to continue sinning. And for them to not be able to use a dominant hand and not to be able to work meant that they couldn't provide for their family. It meant that they couldn't do the things that they did every single day. But yet, despite that, Jesus says it's it's better for you to to be lame and almost in some ways to be of no value, to not be able to provide. It's better for you to be that way than it is to sin and to continue sinning. So why is Jesus being so intense? Why why is he given such a, a dramatic word picture here? And it's because for, for God and for, for Christ, sin is a big deal. It's a big deal. And for being a, a hearer and a doer uh, of what Jesus says, it is it's taking sin seriously as well, and especially in this case of lust and coveting. You see, what Jesus is trying to get across to us is this, is to take sin seriously, it might take serious measures. To take sin seriously, it might take serious measures measures. You know, if we think about our own lives and we think about the things that might cause us to stumble, might cause us to, to break known laws, you know, what would we be willing to give up? Would we be willing to do anything to stop that sinning? Would we be willing to st- uh, do anything that we could to stop? Would we be willing to give up those things that are valuable to us? Would we be willing to give up our dominant hand? And I think for, uh, for us today, Would we be willing to give up those things we love, those things we love to participate in, might be activities or things of the such or maybe friends we hang out with. Would we be willing to give up those things so that we could stop sinning? Would we be willing to cut out the things that cause us to stumble so that our heart can be cultivated and we could pursue Christ? You see, Jesus is saying that whatever leads us into temptation and causes us to sin, no matter how precious to us, it must be dealt with decisively and immediately. Because to take sin seriously, it might take serious measures. So what can we do when we get, find ourselves caught in a situation? Right? What, what do we do when we find ourselves at the point of temptation? We're tempted to fall into a sin that we, that we might be familiar with. How do we actually uh, do this? And I think from verse 29, we, we see uh, a couple, uh, couple things that we could pull from here. And I think the first thing that we, that we must do is we have to identify our traps. We have to identify those things that, that cause us to, to fall into them. You know, what are those things? Now, for some of us, it's uh, people. For some of us, it's certain places. Some of us, it's specific things that may tempt us and cause us to, uh, to sin, those things in the past. You know, maybe for some of us, maybe that's alcohol. You know, I, I have many friends who have uh, been consumed by alcohol, and maybe they're not an alcoholic, but for sure, it, uh, it, for them, they've identified that when they engage in it, it definitely changes their attitude. It definitely changes the way they interact with their family, and it definitely changes the way they think about life, because all they can think about is pursuing alcohol. You know, maybe for some of us, it is sexual sins. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's not actual adultery, but maybe it's other sexual, sexual sins, You know, maybe it's those things that we go to when we're on our computer. You know, these cell phones, these things are awesome. But they have the whole world at our fingertips. They're basically mini supercomputers right in our phone, but they're connected to the Internet. And it could be a thing that leads us to want to look into things that cause us to sin. You know, maybe for some of us, it it could be a relationship. Maybe it's a, a co-worker at the office that you work closely to. And maybe it's getting a little too close for comfort. Maybe it's, it's getting to a place where it's, it's draw, uh, the line's getting too close. And it, maybe it is a, a stumbling block. You know, I know some, uh, some can, times it could be a friendship. Sometimes a friendship that is really toxic, the person just is not a great influence. You know, maybe maybe it's nothing like that, but maybe we, we have our eyes and our and our hearts are lusting after maybe that, that boat or that cabin. Maybe we just we we just can't wait to have that great boat and cabin, and that's that's what our whole mind, our whole life is fixated on. Maybe that is the trap. Or maybe maybe it's work, maybe it's your success. We get tied in. Maybe you are really good at what you do. You're you're really good. But is that is it tying you in? Is that is that a trap that, that everything that everything you do is wrapped up in that? So what is that? What is what is the what is that issue? What is your trap that causes you to sin? And the second thing we see is once we identify that our trap, this is what we're to do with it: we're to cut them out. We're to cut them out. Now it's easier said than done because sometimes it is a loss. Right to, to lose something, you know. As Jesus says, you know, losing an, an arm or an eye—that's that's pretty. That's pretty dramatic. It's pretty drastic. But what is it? What is that thing that leads us into temptation? And we, would we be willing to go through that loss so that we would not sin? I think uh, with this and in, in learning how to cut out something that causes us to sin, you know, this this is a this is a discipline, right? Because sometimes. Uh, something like the internet. Uh, for for those of us that maybe struggle with sexual sins, the internet you can't just get rid of it. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to be gone with it. But what does the discipline look like in helping to cut that out? Maybe maybe you need to have something of accountability. Maybe you need to move your computer into maybe a more public space. Maybe you need to put passwords on it. Maybe you put uh, protection. But whatever that thing is, we're we willing to be putting practices in place so that we can uh, strive for not committing sin. You know, I uh, have a lot of friends who are in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, or uh, there's a West Coast ministry called Celebrate Recovery, and it's all about taking 12 steps to recovery and this cutting out of the issue is such a big step for a lot of people, and so much so that they take drastic measures to, to get a buddy. They, they call them a sponsor, and this person is someone who's just a little further down the road than them, and it's an accountability partner. This is someone who they talk to every, almost every single day. Uh, they would check in, they text, they call, and the whole point is to help them not fall back into their traps, and so for, for a, lot of, a lot of my friends, they have these accountability partners, and the moment they, if they feel temptation coming, the moment they, they drive by the bar maybe and they get tempted, what they do is they immediately they pull over and they call their friend. And these are the kinds of steps that they take because they take the recovery so seriously. And I think for us, we have to think, man, if they're, if they're willing to do that, how much more for us as Christians do we take our faith that seriously that we would be willing to do whatever it takes to stop sinning? And so here's, here's a challenging question for us to, to process for today, for this week, is to ask yourself this question, do you take sin seriously? Do you take sin seriously? Do you take it as serious as Jesus took it? You see, Jesus took sin so seriously that he was willing to go to the cross to die for our sins. That's how seriously he took sin. And are we, are we willing to have that kind of seriousness? And in fact, he even says... That he would rather for us to lose an eye or a hand than to not be in eternity with him. And so a follow-up question to this is, what do you need to cut out of your life? What is it that you need to cut out? What is it that causes you to stumble? What is it that leads you into temptation and causes you to be trapped or overtaken by it? You see, these kinds of questions are, are counterintuitive to what our modern culture says because modern culture says, give in. Give in to your temptations. You do you. YOLO, right? That, that's, that is what, that's what today is all about. And interestingly enough, that was the same in Jesus' day too for that culture. Give in to your temptations. Give in to your desires. Give in to your lusts. Because it's all about you. But what if Jesus is really getting at something that, maybe that's not the case, Maybe that's not the case. You see, if we are going to be wise people and builders on the rock, we must be willing to hear and do what Jesus says, including getting rid of our sins and lusts in our life. You see, if we're ultimately living for this world and not the next, for those of us who are in Christ, our faith is dead. It means absolutely nothing. What we, what we say, what we profess, what we believe in Jesus, if we're not backing it up and we're not actually willing to live as a Christ follower, your faith is, is dead. And then might I even say it's worthless. You see, if we're, we're living for the world to come, we know that we have, we have peace. We know we have assurance of salvation. We know we have eternity with Christ. To live the 80, 90 years here without a limb is far greater than eternity and, damnation. and this is where the rubber meets the road, right? This is where, this is where something that demonstrates whether, whether we are serious about being a hearer and a doer of his word. And as Jesus wants for us, he wants us to be that wise person who builds on the rock. Now, for someone like Elon Musk, he would give up just about anything. He would give up just about anything. In fact, he, he has given up a lot. If you don't know his story, he's gone through multiple marriages because he spends 90 hours at work, 100 hours of work a week plus. His relationship with his kids is not very good. He's willing to sacrifice quite a bit. In fact, as I said earlier, he lives in a tiny house on his company property. That would be akin to Pastor Jim living right back here because he never wants to leave. Could you imagine the impact that would be on his wife Terry and his sons Logan and Max? Could you imagine that kind of tension that that would, that that would bring. But for, for Elon, Mars is the goal. Mars is it. That's everything. He's devoting everything to it. And I assure you that if there was any stumbling block that was in his way to getting to Mars, if there was anything, I'm most certain he would do whatever it took to overcome that adversity or get that stumbling block out of the way so that he could get to Mars. Do we have that same kind of passion for Christ? That we would see sin as serious business, and that we would do whatever it took to avoid or eliminate our stumbling blocks. Because to take sin seriously, it might take serious measures. You know how, how think about just your life and the things that do cause you to stumble and get in the way of having a, a fruitful life and following Christ. Could you imagine what it it would look like? Could you imagine uh, living in such a way that really did pursue Christ's likeness, to be a hearer and a doer of his word? Could you just imagine for a moment the kind of impact you would have if the things that you're living for, you say you follow Jesus and you actually do what he says. Imagine the impact that would have on your, on your spouse, and for those of you with, uh, with families, how, how would that impact your kids? Your kids are, are watching, watching mom and dad. How, how would that look that they see mom and dad passionately pursuing Christ, passionately living out what Jesus says and being serious about it, being a hearer and doer of his words? You know, how would that, how would that uh, impact your workplace, your coworkers to see that, uh, oh yeah, that Bob, he, he says he's a Christian, but we know what he really does. What if the conversation wasn't that? What if, uh, man, you know that Bob, we know what he really does. He's serious. What kind of impact would that be? You see, I think think it would be so huge. I think we would see uh, uh, just in our small little church here, we would have such an impact in our community amongst our family, our friends, our relatives, our coworkers, our neighbors, because they would actually see the love of Christ emanating from us because it's not about the physical things that we're doing. It's really about what's going on in our heart. And when that's transformed out of that, the things that we do. Because when we take sin seriously, we might require serious measures. But we're going to see a changed community just because of how we interpret and how we follow Christ. And we do that. We really are the wise person who builds our house on the rock. Now, as we close up, I want to just take a few moments for us to, to pray and to reflect. I recognize that this, this is pretty heavy. You know, taking sin seriously is, is a, a big decision, and it's not just something you just walk out and say, okay, here we go. This is something that uh, you know, just doesn't do, get done on our own power. And this, is really, this is really done by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and encouraging us, reminding us of the words of Christ. So I want us to take, a, take just, a, just a moment right now. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. We'll take a moment to pray. And you can pray along, pray along with me this prayer. And this is not just a prayer for you, but this is this is, this is my prayer as well. This is our prayer that we pray together. So let's go to let's go to the Father. Father God, we, we come before you and we we read these words, these recorded words, and, and we are just impacted by them. We see that you 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 take sins so seriously. And, and we realize that it, it just might take serious measures on our part to forego the things in our life, things that we might just enjoy, things that, that we love. But because it causes us to follow things other than you, God, we, we just pray that uh, you give us the strength to be able to, to live this out. We pray that you give us the power to be able to identify these traps in our lives who Spirit, would you uh, be before us and, and with us and, and just illuminate? Would you, would you just give us the... You know, sometimes we don't know what they are. Sometimes we just find ourselves and we don't know what trips us up. But Lord, uh, would your Spirit just illuminate these things in our hearts? And then secondly, give us the strength to be able to cut these things out of our lives. Would we be able to take those steps... We maybe get an accountability partner, we could be able to get a friend who can help us along the way. And in a turn, maybe maybe we are an accountability partner to someone else as well, to help them live their life in a way that can be a hearer and a doer of your of your word. So God, we again we we ask for your uh, continued grace uh, to be able to pursue, to continue to pursue a life of you, to be able to be a hearer and doer of your word, that we may truly be. This wise person who builds our house on the rock as we follow you. So we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.